Episode 72, The Assumption of Leadership. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we talked about the book of Joshua, as well as the man that the book is named after. Although we have talked about Joshua being given the position of leadership by Moses to lead the Israelites, we haven't talked about the pitfalls of such a transition. Not only in ancient times, but also in the more modern era, the transition from one leader to another has always been, well, dangerous. Especially when it is from one person to another who is not the leader's direct descendant which is the case from Moses to Joshua. Often, when the transition of leadership happens, it can bring revolt, civil wars, and instability within the people group. However, as far as we can tell, there were no such things that occurred in the transition. More than likely, because Moses publicly chose Joshua as leader over the tribes, it helped in the transition of the title. But we do need to remember that the Israelites had a habit of complaining about their leader when hard times came. So we can only imagine their discontent with Joshua when things became more difficult. For now, things are good. All that was needed was for Joshua to assume the role that was given to him. In the opening words of the book of Joshua, the Lord speaks to Joshua instructing him that now that Moses was dead, it was time to bring the Israelites into the promised land, and Joshua was just the man that was going to lead them. And even though the Lord promised the land to them, they still had to walk in obedience to take possession of the land. Even though the Lord promised the land to them, they still had to walk in obedience to take possession of it. In Joshua 1 verse 3, it says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. The land was theirs. They just had to walk into the promise that God had given them. The Lord then would give the boundaries of the promised land. What is interesting is the boundaries that the Lord gives Joshua for the land that was to be taken are the same as the Egyptian New Kingdom Empire's records. The Egyptian New Kingdom would last between the years 1550 and 1150 BC. Don't worry about which date you believe the Exodus happened. It was during the Egyptian New Kingdom. But the Egyptian New Kingdom had recorded these same boundaries that the Lord gave Joshua as the land called Canaan. This boundary would be from the desert to Lebanon, from the Euphrates, all of the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. In essence, in the south, an arc would extend from the southeastern Mediterranean Sea to the southern tip of the Dead Sea. Then it would travel north using the natural barriers as boundaries, the Dead Sea, the Jordan Valley, and the Sea of Galilee, thus creating the eastern border. It would then continue to go up until it made contact with the Euphrates River in the north, the western border would be the Mediterranean Sea itself. The northern border, the Lord calls it the Hittite country. However, if we look at the late Bronze Age, 
the time in which Joshua would begin his march on the land, the Hittites' country would be located far north in Anatolia, which is located in modern-day Turkey. So the Lord was not giving the Hittite empire to the Israelites. Rather, the northern part of the land of Canaan during this time was controlled by the Hittite empire. In essence, during this time, the land of Canaan was sandwiched between two very large superpowers, Egypt in the south and the Hittites in the north. When the Lord gives Joshua the land's boundaries that he would take possession of with the Israelites, the Lord tells him that he will always be there with him. In Joshua 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Now, as we go through the book of Joshua, the saying, Be strong and courageous, will come up numerous times. But for the time being, Let's look at the word forsake that God promises Joshua that he will never forsake him. In the Hebrew language, this verb describes a divine abandonment. This word would be used to describe when the Israelites left God to pursue other gods and goddesses as they did in the wilderness. In the sense of the word being used in a military setting, it points to a person or a party switching sides in the middle of a battle. As for the Armana letters that were mentioned in the past, the word forsakes would describe the way the Canaanites would often show disloyalty to the king of Egypt and join their enemies. All this to say, the Lord was telling Joshua that he would fight for Israel and he would not betray them to their enemies. The Lord would conclude his words of encouragement to Joshua by reminding him to keep the book of the law, the book of the law that Moses had written. Joshua was to keep it. Often in ancient times, when a treaty or a covenant was made, it was written in the treaty that the smaller kingdom, which was indirectly ruled by the larger kingdom, had to read and sometimes rewrite the covenant so that they would remember and be familiar with its words. This is why the Lord told Joshua to keep the law on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. That way, Joshua would be sure to do everything that was written in the book of the law. This way of assuming leadership, especially by a person who is not the descendant of the previous leader, can be seen throughout ancient history. The new leader would need to receive both divine and human approval before the assuming of the position of leadership. And with the Lord speaking to Joshua telling him that he would never forsake him was definitely an approval of leadership by the divine. It was during the time that the Israelites were entering the promised land that whenever leaders would sign their names to a letter or a document, they would often sign it servant of X. X would represent the name of the deity they served. All over the Palestine and Syrian lands, leaders of population centers, cities, would for the most part sign their names this way. This was a way to show the people that the god or goddesses had chosen that person to be the leader of the people group. 
All that is to say that Joshua was eventually to be given this title as the servant of the Lord. Only the second person to do so in Israel's history. Moses, of course, would be the first. But because of this title, it would show to the people that Joshua had the divine right to lead the Israelites. Now that Joshua was given the words from the Lord so that he could step into leadership, it was time for Joshua to assume leadership with the people. The way that Joshua would do this is to prepare the people for the journey that was ahead of them, the crossing into the promised land. As Joshua was a military leader, as well as a leader of the people, he would often use his officers to communicate with the people, whereas Moses would use the leaders of the tribes to communicate to the people. Now, it could be that they were both one and the same. That was often how tribal societies worked. During the peacetime, the leaders led the people as judges and in civil affairs. But then when it came for battle, those same leaders would then become military officers. So it could be that they are the same people whom Moses called leaders of the tribes, but because the new season for the Israelites is one of war, they are called officers by Joshua. Joshua would give the people three days to prepare to move across the Jordan River so that they could possess the land. He would then come to the two and a half tribes of Israel, the Reubenites, the Gedites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and remind them of the covenant that they had made with Moses. They promised to send their men of war over to the promised land so that the other tribes could receive their inheritance. Once the rest of the tribes had received their land, the two and a half tribes could go back to their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. We say this as if the conquest would be a quick one, and they would be back home in no time. As a sneak peek of the conquest, the time it took for Joshua and his campaign in the land is believed to be around seven years. That would mean these men going over to war with the rest of the tribes of Israel committed seven years to bringing their brothers and their families into their inheritance. But these men knew what they were getting into when they agreed to the covenant and made it with Moses. So Joshua was just following up with them to make sure everyone was still in agreement. Then the two and a half tribes would pledge their allegiance to Joshua, giving him their loyalty as a tribe in Joshua 1 verses 16 through 18. They said, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, we will put them to death. Only be strong and courageous. More than likely, all the tribes would have made a similar pledge to Joshua but only mentions the two and a half tribes saying it because they had less of an incentive to go into the promised land as they had already received their inheritance. As with many things that the Israelites did, this type of pledge was pretty normal for the times. In the Egyptian New Kingdom period, whenever a new king came to the throne, 
the king would go to the other kingdoms under the Egyptian rule and receive an oath that was sworn by the rulers of those kingdoms. This would often help prevent revolts and civil wars as the new leader would be recognized as the king. So this was the same type of pledge Joshua would receive from the tribes of Israel, the pledge of allegiance to his leadership. We will often see these things like we will often see things like this come up in Israel's history. The things that they did were not out of ordinary and would most often be the norm for society and culture at the time. After receiving the pledges from the tribes for their loyalty, Joshua had the Lord's approval and the peoples to lead them into the promised land. The first thing that Joshua would do in his position of leadership is send over two spies into the promised land. These two guys were not meant to go explore the land. No, these two spies were sent with the purpose of finding out the ins and outs of the city of Jericho. So the transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua is complete. The Lord spoke to Joshua, giving him the direction that he needed to accomplish his task, the conquering of the promised land. After receiving the Lord's blessing to lead the people, Joshua would then go to the people and begin assuming leadership. Joshua had already received commission by Moses to lead them, but this was the first time that he stepped into that role and took action. The people of the tribes would then pledge their loyalty to Joshua, much like smaller kingdoms would pledge their allegiance to a larger ruling kingdom. With the transition of leadership finished, the mourning of Moses was over, and the two and a half tribes had built up their cities for their families and herds to live in. It was finally, yes, finally time to prepare for the crossing over into the promised land. So join us next time in episode 73, Rahab. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible. Let's get the word out by liking, rating, and following the show. This episode was produced by Nakeo Productions. To check out other shows, search for Nakeo Productions wherever you listen to podcasts.